The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. We're coming to you live from Salem, New Hampshire. And today we are going to talk about the wonder of the down. I'm very excited about this. Scott came up with this podcast, and it's kind of morphed into something that I think you can use maybe with your own dogs or with your clients and everything else. But first, we're going to start with the quirky tip of the day. Ooh, good one with the pig, honey. Scott's channeling his inner Ben today, wearing his sunglasses. He it's my wanted summer, to, <laughs> my summertime. He wanted to wear. be here, but also tune out a bit. All right, our quirky tip of the day is: if you have an intact female at home, please be aware of the signs of pyometra. My dog Vital had a pyo a couple Thursdays ago. Um, super stressful. We got her in in time. Four vets told me it was the earliest they'd ever seen. But you know, know your dogs. Know signs of what a pyo could look like and interfere quickly. Intervene quickly. I'm very grateful my Whittle is okay. She had um, just some increased thirst, a little bit of licking. That next morning, she had a temperature, and we just took her right in. And um, it's just very important to know that a dog that has not been spayed, who is a female, can have a pyometra and know what steps to take and get that handled as soon as possible. Because it was a little bit stressful. I love my Whittle. Yeah, it can happen uh, with with uh, relatively young dogs also, yeah. although it's not normal. Yeah, but I, I know dogs that have had um, it too and everything else. So just be very aware of what that may look like and um, don't wait until your dog is, you know, hasn't been eating for three days and super lethargic. So grateful to my veterinary staff, grateful for my heart dog, grateful that that is all behind us um, and just want to make that a quirky tip. Okay. So the down podcast, you came up with this. Um, Where's your head at with this? What were you thinking? Uh, I think I was just uh, working with the client again and working on the down and um, realizing that a lot of people don't have a real usable downstay with their dogs. Even people that have done previous training that I meet, they, they'll tell me their dog sits and their dog downs, but they don't have a stay. I'll ask them to show me what they have. And more often than not, they'll have to prompt the dog to down and lure and say it a couple times. And the dog will lay down. It's not that the dog doesn't do anything, but they don't have a stay. And in my mind, if you don't have a, a stay or a way of you know, getting that dog to be stabilized, you don't have anything usable. Yeah. Yeah. And we Let use alone downs, distra- the distractions of everyday life. We whatnot. use downstays with our personal dogs a lot. We took some videos that we're going to show here throughout this podcast to kind of, you know, help you guys trigger like, oh, how could my clients actually use this? Or maybe some ways to brush up, you know, training with your own dogs at home. Um, and you also say that it takes your place of the recall also if you have well, a crappy I, come command. I've said that there's so many things that you can, you could get by. If you had a good downstay, you don't have to have a, a good recall. The dog could be out loose in the yard or out in a field. And when you want to get the dog, you say down and just walk over, put a leash on them. Uh, if, they're, if they tend to jump a lot when people come to the house, you could say down and they just lay down as a way of, you know, stop giving them something else to do. So they're not just jumping all over people. So there's a lot of places where a down comes in handy. And I, I often tell people, this is a it's a very, the criteria is very high with the down. I mean, they have to have the elbows on the ground. They can't roll over on their back. They can't be, you know, it can't get loose. It has to be a, a fairly structured behavior. And for that reason, 
I tell people I wouldn't expect my down my dog to stay in a down for more than three to five minutes maximum. But within those three minutes, it doesn't matter what's going on around the dog, the dog doesn't move. Then you have something that you can use. Uh, if I want my dog to stay somewhere for a half hour, then I would use a place command. Where yeah. I say, go get on that bed, climb up on that rock and hang out on the rock. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. If we're and, out in the woods. And you can use it like a place command when you're not out and about and you don't have your place everywhere. But like Scott's saying, that's a lot shorter duration. And then just let's point to real quick, because in these videos, we use a lot of different terms. We have basically two words for down for all of our dogs. So um, can you talk about that a little bit and what that means for us? Well, since we both come from a, you know, an obedience background, uh, if I were to, when I train my dog for the word down, uh, I'm thinking about being judged for that behavior. So that means it has to be super strict. It has to be very clean. Even when the, how the dog lays down in the heel position, if they la lay down perpendicular to you or on an angle to you, that's not correct. So it's a very strict behavior for the sake of points in competition. So that being said, and having created that foundation with my dogs, if I'm using the down in an obedience class with another client and their dog, and my dog is only there as a distraction. I'm not there to train my dog. I'm there to use my dog to provide some distraction for the client's dog. I won't tell him to down because if it's not perfect, then I need to now start training my dog and working with my dog, cleaning that up, holding them accountable. This is the way it's done, which I don't want to take time away from my client. So I tell my dog to relax and he will lay down. But it's a very loose criteria down. It doesn't mean he can get up and move, but if I turn and go off 45 degrees somewhere else and he turns and pivots to look at me, I don't care. If he comes up on his, starts to come up into a sit, I'll tell him to relax again. I'm not going to go over there and reset him and clean this up. So yeah, it's I'm very formal. informal down yeah. is it what we what I say, relax. Yeah. And, and, and I, that's exactly where it came from with me too. With sync, with teaching, I'll say settle instead of down because, you know, if she wants to sniff or do something else, then again, we're not riding our dog's butts. We use our dogs as demo dogs all the time and we don't want it to affect our super, you know, strict criteria of this more formalized looking down. So a lot of the times in these videos and in life and when we're working with our clients, we'll say something like relax or settle. Um, Cousteau's more formal down is the French down from com com competition, Coucher. Um, Vital, I'm doing some IGP with her. Plots would be more her more formal down. So we have different ways of communicating, but we can also get kind of the same behaviors and the point across that, you know, you're going to be stabilized there while we get whatever accomplished we want to get accomplished. But as we started unpacking this, we realized that we use this quite frequently. Yeah. And just to kind of explain that relax cue, uh, I, that was a behavior I captured in a sense, because every time I told my dog to get on his bed at night or in the day, he would nine times out of 10 get on and just lay down. So I, knowing anticipating that he's going to go into that behavior of relaxing, laying down. He'd get on, I'd say relax, and then he would do that behavior. And that's how I started getting a cue on that, which was separate from the down, where I've, in with some dogs I've had, um, where actually with a lot of my competition dogs, where I didn't do Schutzen or the IPO type stuff, I didn't have a down at a distance in the, in the IPO. You'll, your dog is running away from you, 
you yell down, they down, say 25 yards away, flip back looking at you. So I wasn't doing that. So if my dog was out, um, you know, a younger dog, and maybe they were 10 feet from me, and I told them to down, they might run over into the heel and lay down next to me because that's the context that they know that behavior in. So just to kind of put it in perspective, but this relax is something they can do anywhere. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's start with the video. Um, Christy's got my videos here for me. Let's do the door video. This is with Jimmy and the relax, but this is a practical way we'd use it. We get home, we have groceries. We don't want the dog crowding the door. This is how we would use it. So we're going to start with the door video. Free. Good boy. Let's go. Come on. Jimmy, relax. So that's like day in the life, Scott and Jess. And it's the same thing if you're getting equipment out of your car, right? Like you, you know, maybe you're at a training session, you need to get stuff ready, your dog's out. Rather, if they're on leash, great, but you can still tell them to down and stabilize them. So getting dogs away from the doorway when you're going in and out, when you're carrying things, just being able to stabilize your dog, that's one of the main ways that we use it and we tell our clients to use it as well. Yeah, if I was off of my own property out in public anywhere, I certainly wouldn't let him out and start floating around the way he did in that in that little... Uh video that you saw, I would just down him right outside of the crate on the ground there and uh, either put his leash on him when he's in the crate or after he's out, but he would be stabilized. He wouldn't be just floating. That's yeah. For sure. And that's a good point that you bring up. We're going to do um, the mailbox video next, Chrissy, just so you're ready. But um, our property is not fenced. So we have our dogs out loose all the time. Like they are out with us at the fire. Like we don't have e-collars on our dogs. Our dogs are just floating at all points of time. If I hear the mailman come and deliver the mail, my dog may be loose. I may not have a bed out there. I'll show you how I handle that. We do the same thing with Amazon delivery people, right? The dogs are loose. They're floating around. We'll put them in a relax or a settle or whatever. We'll go get the package. We'll come back to our dogs. So this is again, day in the life, Scott and Jess, dogs are out with us. They're loose. I want to go get the mail. This is how I'd handle that. And it was funny, I was thinking um, when we lived in our house in Amesbury before we sold it, I used to do this with sink all the time. We had a really long driveway. It was like a lot that was at the way back. 
um, off the street and I'd leave her at the gate and then go get the mail and it would be a fun little exercise we do. So it's good for training, but also it's a very practical use. Like if my dog's out loose floating around and I don't have a leash, I don't want to be now worried about loose leash walking my dog across the road or up to an Amazon delivery person and, you know, having to deal with that whole interaction. We just, you know, stabilize our dogs, do what we're doing outside, and then we go about our day. And this is very common. We have this happen multiple times throughout the week. Yeah. No, it's a good exercise. And um, do you want to get into, I'd like to get into how it's taught also yeah, let's at do some it. point. Do, do, you, it do you have any yeah. more videos you want to show? Or we will, good? but we'll, yeah. yeah, we can talk about, I talk about how you do it and then I'll talk about how I do it because it's a little bit different. Yeah. Well, I mean, first, you know, you want to get the behavior where they actually understand to lay down before you start um, labeling it. So uh, I would use food, whatever. Um, but to get beyond that, I'm thinking more about the stay. However you get your dog to lay down and understand the word down and it has them lay down, um, that's, not, that's where it begins. Yeah. Not, that's not where the exercise ends. That's where it all begins. And I would have the dog on a leash. And the first thing I would do is start to uh, implement distractions. And the, very verse, the first distraction is just trying to step away from your dog. Because as soon as you go to step away, they want to follow you. That's so, you know. And I would, Scott will normally turn into the uh, dog yeah, I'll, to make I'll it easier. Step perpendicular in front of the dog to kind of block them from moving forward, and I'll be facing them. I'll take the step back and come in and feed and move away. You know, just start to be able to move around them while they're just holding this position, and then going back in and feeding the down a lot, so that if I could imagine what the dog is thinking. I would hope that they're thinking, this is the easiest thing in the world. I lay here and this guy just keeps bringing me food. All I do is don't get up, no matter what goes on, and they come in and reward me for staying here. And um, that is one of the, the next things I do after I get them stabilized like that. And I would release the dog after I've thrown some distractions at them and they don't take the bait and they hang in there. I would release them out of it, assuming there's a certain level of stress involved in the dog learning. They're trying to do the right thing. They're thinking. So that's going to be stressful, uh, just like we're learning something new. We're not sure what it is. We're focused. If we're driving, learning how to take a driving lesson or something, it's stressful. But after you learn how to do it, it's no big deal. So I release them out of it, play with them, put them back in, add more distractions. And then I would throw food on the ground. And nine out of 10 dogs that have any kind of food motivation are going to get up to go get the food. And I would put them back, make sure they don't eat the food. And um, I would do it again. And if I needed to dumb it down, if tossing the food and it bounces is too big of a distraction where this dog is breaking the, the, the down two or three times in a row, I'd bend down and almost place the food there so that they can just accept that and understand that. Just don't get up. And then again, it's just continuing to raise the distraction where it's throwing balls, kicking balls around them, uh, bringing other animals into the scenario, other dogs where we have control of the other dogs. And I do this quite often with my dog where I can release Jimmy out of the car loose. I have the client's dog on a leash because I want to evaluate leash reactivity. My dog can keep coming, advancing towards me. And I can tell my dog, relax, he'll drop wherever I feel like, oh, this is close enough. Let me move this dog around, see what's going on. And then I can send my dog back to the car 
when I'm done with him and continue to work with this dog. Yeah. And I do want to say two things about the way Scott teaches it. One, when you are releasing the dog, especially in the early stages, we're always going back to the dog for the most part. Our dogs are more seasoned at this point, but the point of the down stay isn't like we always say, don't do this with the sit stay where you, you know, have a down, go 10 feet out and then release the dog to you. You want the dog to think, especially in those early stages, they'll be coming back to me and that'll help the criteria of your stay be held you know, quicker and everything else. And then also if there is a failure, Scott's just not recueing down. If the dogs move five feet forwards, he's bringing the dog back to that original location. Downstay is you stay in this first location that you were told to stay in. And I would say for you, you get a downstay on most dogs in three to five sessions pretty easily. Oh yeah. Getting it. Well, I would say yes. And not no. reliable. Can, like we're doing in these videos, but no, you're I mean, getting the, the comprehension. Dog understands, yeah, understands what's going on there, but getting into, um, generalizing behaviors can take weeks and months. Yeah, and yeah. that's where but you're I'm taking the dog everywhere. You could walk 10 feet on on a long line, walk back sure. to the dog there, understanding yeah. that concept. And if you are out in public, Scott will always say also that if you were going to practice your down, stay away from home, back tie the dog somewhere, like have a fence, back tie the dogs. So the dog is safe. The dog, you know, can't just go anywhere. And yes, generalizing it and having it in the context that we're talking about here are, you know, more advanced training. But as far as the basic downstay and the principles that Scott's working through, these are things that you can build upon and start working through. You'll see dogs with anxiety have a really hard time even just you stepping in front of them because they want to suck into you. They want to be with you. They're like drawn to you. So the downstay is great for anxious dogs too to really like relay this info of like, you're going to be here. Maybe you just take a half step, go back in and feed. But the dog's starting to work through all of this emotional imbalance also, which is super important. Yeah, and sometimes with those real needy dogs, it's like if you're within eight or 10 feet of them, it's way harder for the dog than if you're 15, 20 feet away. Yeah. <laughs> Once they see, okay, I, you're too far for me to get to, I'll just yeah. hang in there. But and if you're close to like, it's almost like a magnet. That's yeah. And you may get you. the crawling to you and everything else. And these are all good signs of feedback, but you need to address these things. Maybe you stabilize the dog in a down and a place board at first. The dog's, you know, more sure of their job and everything else. I use it practically a lot and I would have had vital out in this video. Also, we're going to do the field video next, Chrissy. I use it a lot. We have a lot of deer that are on our property. And I really care about the emotional state of the deer. So I don't want to like just recall my dogs back and have them running. I want them to feel like safe and stabilized and they can make their own choices. So if I'm out and I'm running in the field or I'm going hiking out to the bench and I see wildlife, I will down all the dogs out that I have at the same time. So right here I have Sink and Jimmy, but I just want to show you guys that as well. So this is the field video. So right past where Jimmy's peeing there, there's like a path that goes out to a bench. And this is pretty commonplace. Like I see deer a lot. They're used to me being chattery and everything else. And I don't want, it's less about the dogs. It's more about the deer's well-being. So I can then go and I can walk and I can put my dogs, you know, on a leash or I can go and call them back to me. But I just want whatever wildlife is out around our property to always feel welcome and always feel like they're safe. And that's just a good way for them then to be able to make a choice. Oh, we want to run in the woods. Oh, we feel good about this and everything else. So some practical purposes. And this is great 
right too. If you have a super drivey dog for wildlife and they would run away and everything else, if you can down them and then go walk to them and hook them up on a leash, that's way easier and way less arousal than the dog that's decided to chase. And now you're having to call the dog off in the middle of chase. So be very conscious of these types of situations as well. Another place I use it with pet dogs or our own dogs or anything else is with eating. So um, we're going to pull up the dinner video. This is, you know, if you're getting food ready at the sink and the dog's being a little bit pushy or something else, you want to get the dog away from you, I'll go put the dog in a down across the room. It's just an easy, practical way to do this. So he had to have his formal French because that's his more official down. And he wasn't even being that annoying at the sink there when I was making dinner. But these are situations where like all the time in our lives, I'll go and tell Scott's dog to relax. He'll go tell my dog to settle. I'll go tell, like we're, we're making this happen and we're creating ways that we can deal with these situations, you know, easier. And we're not having a lot of conflict in our house and our dogs are very used to it. And it is a very practical thing that you can carry over into your own household as well. And you should encourage your clients to at least have as a tool, if nothing else, just for good training. Yeah. I I was thinking about, I used to want occasionally when I'll work on this in an urban environment, uh, we're in the most rural place we've ever lived right now. But if I was in a downtown, very busy, like city uh, scenario, I'd love to take advantage of a fire hydrant where the handle of my leash fits over the big bolt on the top of the fire hydrant. So I put the dog in a down and loop that so that I could walk across the street if I wanted to. And I know the dog is safe. Even if he gets up, he cannot walk into the street or something like that. Or I would tie the leash to a, a sign, a sign, you know, yeah. a little stop sign or something like that where the dog is safe and yet separate. And I was going to say about the place board, a place, when the, if your dog has a good solid place, uh, it is a good way to get distance on your dog and distraction. Uh, there's still a learning curve when you go just to a down without a place. The nice thing about the down and the place is that there's two anchors keeping your dog there. Yeah. Uh, now you've lost one anchor. And if this place is way stronger than the down, then you're going to get the crawling. You're going to get movement when you've taken away the place. And then you got to get them over that learning curve. But it is nice just to help the dog learn that you're leaving and coming back and that just hang out and don't go anywhere. And if you have a dog that can't stay on a place, like if you have dogs with a lot of anxiety, I have found that it's better the first step to just tether them to a doorknob so that, because they just follow you all over the house. So before you try to do the bed exercise, they can't emotionally do the bed exercise because they can't bear you leaving them. They'll do it all day if you're right there. But when you leave, they just cannot keep but trying to get off the bed to follow you. Tie them to a doorknob for five or six sessions where you're in the kitchen and they just get used to you being there and they can't follow you. If you go out of the room for a second, they can't follow you and they just settle. Now, when you're doing your bed exercise and you start working on your distance, they're accustomed to you leaving and coming back. They've seen it. So that transition's easier. That also, and I'll say the dogs with severe anxiety for the bed exercise, we sometimes teach an automatic down with. Like this isn't common practice, but dogs that like, especially people that may not want to use electric collars or anything else, like the dog's bed is get on the bed and lay down because like Scott's saying, there's two anchors there now. You have the place and the actual down. They need more criteria. They need, yeah, because even they're, they're, they're they're going circles in the bed, they're panting, they're just all, they're creating more 
They're getting themselves more worked up, even though they're staying on their bed. Yeah. They're not settling on the, the bed. The down is stabilizing them more. So yeah. what's the benefit for you from a down versus like a sit-stay? Well, a sit-stay is harder on the dog because they're in that upright sit position. So when they get tired after you know, three or four minutes, it would be natural for them to lay down and then they're not sitting anymore. So they've technically broken the sit. So I, I remember when I was, you know, doing the French ring, the sit stay was like, everyone used to sweat about doing a sit stay because you'd have to put your dog in a sit, leave the field or not. Well, you'd be in hiding, you'd be behind a blind, but technically you're off the field. The dog's sitting out there by himself and more often than not, it's a warm, hot day. The sun's beating down on that dog. And I think it was a three-minute sit-stay. But it, it's a pretty long time to be like, you're looking at your watch. And, you just, and I've seen so many dogs that they're like t- 10 seconds from completing the exercise. And they lay down. And then they get a zero, you know. So that's why I want them to be comfortable and stay there and just don't move. Yeah. And I would also argue that a sit is more close to, you know, running and going towards something too. Like a down, you're a little more stabilized, all four appendages on the ground, you're a little more set in your way of being there and being stabilized. But yeah, as far as like general practice, we would use a sit at at the door and stuff, but for the most part, we're using this relax or these downstays or something else. And that being said, to your point, if when you go and pick your dog up, you heal them out of that position or call them into a sit if you're capable of getting them to go from a down into a sit and then heal them out of that position, say six to 10 feet and then release them. What you'll get as a side benefit of that is that if they are going to break the down, they'll go up into a sit. Like they're getting stimulated. They don't just bolt because they've never been able to do that before, but they start to come up and that's, you, you can see now, okay, they're, they're starting to forget what they should be doing, but they don't just take off. And for that reason, we never call dogs out of a down, a formal down. Always go back to them and uh, heal them out because they're expect. Same with the with the bed exercise. I tell people, you put your if you want to have a good place, put them on the place. And for the release, I would encourage people, unless you have a you know a very well trained dog that you've been working with cuz you're passionate about dog training and you really enjoy dog training that's another issue i'm talking about just practical pet dog training it's always better to go back and release the dog with a verbal and a tactile give them a little pat on the shoulder to let them know they're done cuz now they they got two things to let them know they're done it's not just the free or whatever your release cue is you're going up and you're telling them free and you give them a pat come on let's and let them know they're out of there And that will eliminate them just bolting off the bed or the place out of the blue. Whereas if you're, if you get into this habit and this happens with dogs that get pretty good, the dog has a good place. So the people start releasing them from 20 feet away. And then you see the dog start to kind of anticipate, oh, they're they're doing something that I know they're going to release me next. And then they're already ha- mentally, they're halfway off that bed already. You're kind of making the down podcast, the place podcast. <laughs> well, it's just a difference it, it, between there's the a two. Lot of, there's a lot of parallels. But yeah. if I'm going to be crossing the road to get the mail, I sure as hell don't want my dog to be thinking that I'm going to be releasing her from the mailbox and then have to turn that into a drop on recall. Our dogs are very accustomed to thinking like they're probably going to walk back to us. They're going to release us when they get um, closer. And this is another thing. And this is actually one of the main reasons Scott came up with it. He's been walking with Cousteau in the mornings um, a lot and just going out and getting some fresh air and taking Cousteau with 
with him. And sometimes he'll do like this over aroused, excited poop. And it's a great tool to have you guys. If you have a dog on leash, especially a city dog and they're romping all around and they're all crazy. When you're going to clean up their poop, you can put them at a down. So Whittle couldn't do much because of her surgery, but she was able to do this one. So we'll end with the poop video. Start with the pooping. Scott likes to incorporate poop wherever we could. trying to play with the poop bag over the leash. But these are real like day in the life things that you can be doing. You can be teaching your clients to do. And it's expanding the dog's toolbox and mind and everything else. So if you do not have a reliable down with your dog, reconsider that. You don't have to put them in crazy scenarios or whatever like we tried to do here today to show you. But this is honestly how we live with our dogs and how we use this as a practical application day in, day out. Did I, I miss anything? I don't think anything was crazy that we were showing them. Well, some people are going to think stuff. that they won't cross the road and traffic and everything else. Yeah. But we have pretty good control over well, you're right. That one, uh, that's what made me think of it when I had Cousteau out yeah. and I had to pick up a poop because I've yeah. had many clients He's tell me, jumping all around oh, and... I got this problem when the dog poops and I have to pick it up and the dog's running around me in yeah. circles because after they poop, they feel like, oh, I feel so much better now when they start freaking going put them, crazy. Put them in a freaking down. That's yeah. the way to do it. You guys, today is our 195th episode. Wow. I cannot even believe it, but um, the very first episode after Labor Day is going to be our 200th episode. We've been here for so freaking long right now. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Next week, we have one of our very cherished clients, Magale, on. And in the meantime, if you need us, you can find us from Portland, Maine, Manchester, New Hampshire, or Boston, Massachusetts. I practiced the map before, so he's making fun of me. If you want to work with us in person, email us at studio at thequirkydog.com. Have a great Wednesday, guys. Thanks for joining us, and keep, keep it, it quirky. Teacher down. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.